Mr. Herrick, you wouldn't believe me if I told you how old I think she is. You think? Don't you know? No. Not really. But you're her mother. No. I'm not her mother. I'm her daughter. You've just made a wrong turn heading south onto strange highways. Enter Death's waiting room, if you dare. And welcome to Strange Highways. I am Paul. And hey guys, it's Terry here. And I hope you enjoyed our conversation about an occurrence at Owl Creek Bridge. It was a lot of fun. Uh, thanks again to to Richard for coming on the show and, and serenading us because he truly is a living man. Yeah, I'm surprised I was able to stay awake because his voice was so soothing. Oh, <laughs> you just get lulled in, right? And the next thing you know... Done. That's what happens, right? So, um, yeah. So, yeah, Richard, thanks for hanging with us during the episode. That was great. All right. So, that, that's a bad joke because that's what I do here. Um, but moving on, uh, we're going into uh, season five, episode 23, uh, which is Queen of the Nile. Uh, air date was March 6, 1964. Number one film, Kissing Cousins, starring Elvis Presley. Um, here you'll you'll like the description of this, Terry. Like it's it's a weird one. Uh, an army officer returns to the Smoky Mountains and tries to convince his kinfolk to allow the army to build a missile site on their land. Once he gets there, he discovers he has a lookalike cousin. What? <laughs> <laughs> like I like. I mean, I understand. Like you see the poster, it's like, oh, that's dark haired Elvis, and that's blonde haired Elvis, right? And it's like, okay, oh I get God. it, but it's like. I almost kind of wish that it had been like, oh, he finds out that he has a, a lookalike cousin, and that's when the kissing starts. You know, anyway. Uh, but I also like, he's like, I'm civilized. I'm in the army. Hey, kinfolk, can we build some weapons of mass destruction on our property? Like, you know, that's weird to me. So this is what I've been missing when it comes to his filmography. Okay. Sure. I, I would like to believe, I think it'd be great that if every one of his films, regardless of what it is, it's always trying to build a missile site. Like no matter, like if it's like blue Hawaii, it's like he goes to Hawaii to build a missile site, you know, like whatever it is. Right. It'd be, it'd been great. You know, been like, Oh, it's Elvis singing songs, trying to build munitions depots or whatever, you know? That's um, that's how you you uh, you put the little like wavy hands in front of him. Like you're not seeing what's going on behind me. Yeah. <laughs> I'm it's, Elvis. It's 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 the Presley Initiative, you know. Like so, yeah. Uh, the swinging hips, like they, that's what you're looking at. Not not the the full scale barrage that we could launch at any time, right? So, <laughs> number one song, uh, I want to hold your hand by the Beatles. We we don't know what uh, military industrial complex they were hiding. 
but they were part of the British invasion and we didn't turn it away. So I don't know what problems we brought into this country because of it. I'm starting to think that the invasion is never going to end now as far as like the the rest of the series. I think it's probably going to be, I want to hold your hand the entire duration. Well, of the- it's actually, th- I know I, 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 when I do my research, you know, like that meaning Wikipedia, I, it's going to be three blocks back to back to back of Beatles songs. So hmm. it's this one and then two no others. Surprise. So we, we, the rest of the, the rest of the series here, what we're like 14 episodes out or whatever from the end of the series, uh, might be Beatles all the way down, but I, I think that we might get like a slight reprieve in like the last week or two. We'll see, but not that, not that having the Beatles every single time is bad. It's just, I, whenever I started this series, it was all, I always wanted a snapshot of what was going on. And like, can you, can you think when was the last like big, like song that just didn't leave like for weeks? Oh geez. Well, I mean, we we'd have to go back to like to the '90s and like because you also have to think about genres and like radio stations yeah. that are built built for certain genres. But probably Achy Breaky Heart or some you know something like from MC Hammer or something yeah. like that. What about Despacito? That was uh, that song that was a big deal a couple of years ago, and then Bieber did his uh, remix of it. Or uh, Old Town Road, I think that's what's called. I've never heard that song. I don't know how I avoided it. From what was it Lil Nas X? I've never heard it, but people talked about it. That was oh, I know, I know what you're talking. Yeah, because I'll go to the bar and I've heard it. And, yuck. But because um, you put money into the jukebox, to, but no, <laughs> no, I, I, no, never. Yeah, I mean, what Gangnam Style was a pretty big deal there. Like here, look, look at me dating myself. Like you know, that's pretty big, pretty big song. You know, the people. Yeah, I just I brought up Achy Breaky Heart, and you're thinking that you just dated yourself by saying Gangnam Style. Yeah, 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 I know. Well, I mean, you know, they were they almost came out back to back weeks, right? <laughs> Both terrible dances, but yeah. Um. Oh, what about uh? What was the guy's name? Uh, Jimmy Ray. Uh, that uh, 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 never mind. I'm trying to find like one hit wonders that no one cares about. Like, what about um, uh, Sugar Ray with the song "Fly"? That that's a little newer than "Achy Break Your Heart," right? That was yep. that was a pretty big deal for a second, right? Mark- yeah. <laughs> yeah. Was there Sugar Ray? Is there is there not like any like popular songs that you like that got stuck in your head aside from "Achy Break Your Heart"? Uh, you know, <laughs> I'm not going to go down that avenue because I don't want to. I don't want to put myself in a, in bad graces with certain people that listen to our podcast. Fair enough. Okay. N- namely, our, my one of my best friends, Adam. Um, he he would never let me live certain things down. So yeah, it's not happening. Well, now that you've mentioned this, what's one of the thing? One of the things that you would never live. You don't have to say all of them. You don't have to reveal all your secrets here on the show. But you gotta give me one. That's the blood price to move on to uh, day and date. To all of, right. Yeah. The bl- the the price of blood here is I actually do like Nickelback. So. <laughs> Yep. Turn it off. All right. Okay. All right. So, <laughs> ugh, uh, I mean, I don't know. You didn't get rid of it. I'm so glad. Like, Richard uh, is going I, to love that. I had to make some. I had to make some changes to the board to keep that on here. But uh, here, I'll give one of these as well. Mm. I don't know how I feel about that. Anyway, so. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I just all right. So that moving was my on. Blood there you go. There, all right, right, everybody. We're all now cursed. All right. So, <laughs> um, so I couldn't find something for March sixth, the, the the date this aired, but March first. So the Sunday prior, and uh, Terry, you're gonna love this because it would not be an episode of Strange Highways without something like 
without something going horribly wrong, right? So you, you appreciate this. I shouldn't laugh because it's kind of terrible, but also this guy kind of had it coming. Uh, Richard Welsh, a professional skydiver who was celebrating his 29th birthday, was killed by an accident blamed on his habit of screaming while pretending to fall out of an airplane uh, and on the fact that he had no pocket to uh, keep his like his um, his pull cord, like he would like pretend to like fall out and then like put like the cord or whatever, like the the latch in his pocket. So um, lacking a pocket, this time he put the handle of his parachute's ripcord between his teeth. But when he opened his mouth as he fell to like fake scream, the cord flew over his shoulder as he fell three thousand feet to his death. Welsh was seen groping desperately all the way down, trying to grab the cord to open the chute. His body, along with his unopened parachute, was found in the backyard of a home in Delhi Township, Michigan. Whoa. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> uh. Like, this dude was all like, I'm, oh, no, I'm falling. I guess I'm okay. And this time it's like, I don't have a pocket for my ripcord. I guess I'll put it in my mouth. And then as I openly, you know, actively open my mouth to scream, my ripcord's gone. Like you got to wonder like the first couple seconds of like, I can do this. <laughs> I, I love how it says that he was a professional skydiver. Not so professional. I mean, you know, I mean, people, I don't know. Like you, you see these people that are supposedly like professional, like influencers that like, you know, go up to the top of buildings and fall off by accident. Right. So like, and subscribe, you know, whatever. So, I mean, how many jumps does it take for you to be considered a professional skydiver? More than one. I'm not, I'm not sure because, like, I mean, where is that threshold? Is it a matter of like you doing like classes and teaching people, or well, you have to do, well like, now I know you or... have to do a couple different tandem jumps, right? I know, like, I'm not that I've ever skydove or dived. I don't know how, like, whatever. It, you know, I, I mean, I've fallen down plenty, but like close to the earth. Um, but like, I know you have to. Would do, you like, consider yourself a professional at it? I, I'm a professional fall downer, yes, for sure. <laughs> Um, so, oh man, I, when I was, when I was working at an amusement park, uh, that, that is close to where we live. Um, there was a time I was walking along, um, uh, like a midway with all these people around and I was carrying like a, like this box of like trash can liners or something. And I was just walking with like a supervisor and I have this bad habit of every so often, it does not matter. Like it must be like something internally where it's like, you've walked enough times now that your ankle is just going to be like done. And you just like trip over yourself and just fall down. Like there was nothing to cause me to fall other than myself. And I just biffed it on this concrete. Right. And of course, because I'm a worker there and there's people that have paid money to be in the park, they all walk around and laugh at me. And so as I'm getting up, I don't know what to say. My manager's looking at me and I'm just like, I was like, hey, everybody watch out. There's an employees only hole right there. And I picked up my box and kept moving. Um, a couple of years later, I was walking along with the same guy, uh, near that same stretch of midway. And he was like, yeah, he's like, I don't know. There was a time I was walking along here and this one, one of my, like my coworkers just fell down. And I was like, Wally, that was me. He was like, that was you, wasn't it? So, um, I'm a professional fall downer. So I'll say that. All right. Yeah. I- but watch out for the employees only hole. <laughs> that, that was, that was the only thing I could say. No one heard me. I thought it was funny, but I'd already like gotten uh, road rash all over me or whatever. You know, for like just straight falling down on concrete hurts. You know, like not Needless not three thousand feet to my death. Though. <laughs> <laughs> you know, not the almost the same thing. I'd give him a nine. I was a seven. 
As long as you did it in, uh, with style, because uh, you know falling down in style—that's the thing. <laughs> yeah, I made sure to scream the entire time. That's like my ripcord was over my shoulder. I fell like was four and a half feet, like from an upright position. Like I'm six foot. And I don't know what the, the angle of falling is. It wasn't very far, but I lived to tell the that's tale. Got, that's skydiving for me because I'm only five six. So. <laughs> <laughs> that, yeah, you're right. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah i i don't know i just know that you do some training and you have to do some tandem jumps and i know there's a lot of accreditation now maybe maybe they call this the richard welsh rule maybe that's the whole thing it's like you just can't call yourself a professional you know whatever anyway so that happened so richard welsh should not see this episode i can tell you that yeah. uh, uh r.i.p <laughs> <laughs> all right so let's just get into uh some uh cast and crew here all right, so to lead us off here, we have our director is uh, John Bram, 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 Bram. Right. Yeah, so this is the last of twelve episodes that he did for the Twilight Zone. Uh, I'm not going to go over every episode because we did we did talk about him more recently. Um, he did Time Enough at Last, um, and one of my favorite episodes of the Twilight Zone. He did the new exhibit, and then just more recently we talked about he did You Drive. Um, he even played Winston Churchill. Uh, in person or persons unknown. So Kinda. little acting credits yeah. there, too. Um, he, like, um, the main character in that episode, who believed his, like he believed himself, but the rest of the world didn't. Like He was basically like erased from reality, so he ends up in like um, a hospital, and he's trying to tell somebody, like, I'm so-and-so. It's like, well, yeah, that's Winston Churchill over there, and it's just John Brom just sitting there. <laughs> like that. So, yeah, no, John Brom, you mentioned a nice place to visit. I'm uh, sorry, no, the new exhibit, which was a, mm -hmm. a highlight of season four. A nice place to visit, which is a fun episode in season one. He also, like, I just got to mention, time enough at last. Like, that's the, the like, one of the biggest iconic Twilight Zone episodes, right? With Burgess Meredith dropping the glasses. This is the last. And also Shadow Play, which was a season two episode that no one talks about. That's really, really, really good. Um, he'll be missed. Like, he his output in terms of episodes, like, they vary, but he had some really great highs. And also I think sometimes, you know, you're, you're a TV director, you, you know, you're, you, you're dealt the hand, you do, you do take the hand that you're dealt, but some great episodes. Yeah. Lots of TV work for this gentleman. Um, and yeah, like you said, he will be missed as far as, uh, his output for the twilight zone, some memorable stuff here. Uh, you know, my favorite is, uh, like I said, new exhibit, but time enough at last is just, it's a banger of an episode and you can't help but feel so much emotion watching that episode. Yeah. So, but on um, next here we have our writer. So, um, the last showcase of Charles Belmont. Um, this is the last of 22 episodes that he had done for, um, for twilight zone. Um, and I wanted to know what is your favorite as far as, uh, what he did for twilight zone? Well, okay. That, that's, a, that's a, that's a big question, but as we've talked about previously with the new exhibit and living doll, these really weren't Beaumont episodes. Like he wrote these right. with, with Jerry Saul. So this is the third of three episodes that Jerry had written. Um, that, so this is the last time he actually got to write an episode, but he would split Beaumont would make sure that they got to split the money and, and whatever. So, Beaumont was like, I got some notes here at the very end. This was Beaumont couldn't really do anything. Right. So we'll, we'll talk about that like later that we've talked about that multiple, multiple times in terms of uh, Charles Beaumont's output. Oh my goodness. Like you're putting me on the spot. Um, 
uh, uh, he did uh, The Jungle, uh, which yep. is a great season three episode. I'm going to look up Charles Beaumont Twilight Zone now that you did this to me. Because uh, why Why I'm always, I'm so bad about like, like he's always the one that his, I, I always fail on his name, which is terrible. Uh, like, but he's done, he's done some really cool stuff. I want to say Shadow Play was also one of his as well. Actually, now I look at it. Yep. Shadow play was uh, so he definitely had some like some of the more memorable writing credits as far as the ep- episodes and how memorable they were. Um, you know, us talking about the fourth season and you know how people look down on the fourth season. I, I, there are some episodes that you can't help but love how like crazy the the twists were in it. Like miniature is a great episode yes, it is. And, and in his image is probably one of the best episodes of twilight zone in general, just hands down one of the best, um, printers devil amazing. Uh, and you know, like, but when you talk about like episodes like static, um, elegy, you know, like elegy, I mean, elegy is one of the best episodes of season one. People should need to go revisit that. It's a really cool idea. Um, long live Walter Jameson, which is not the last time I'll mention this episode in regards to this episode we're talking about. It was really cool. It's a great um, one. Yeah. Um, and shadow play, like I mentioned, uh, the jungle, if people have not seen that, go back and visit it. Um, yeah, I mean like just, he is, um, he is second place in terms of output. I mean, granted there's some asterisks here when we get to like, season four and on because of his, his deteriorating condition, unfortunately, but technically he has credits in all five seasons. So that's cool. Like, so give him that. Um, but it, you know, Beaumont was always the weird. So I, I always kind of put Beaumont and Matheson like as in, so you got, you, you obviously got Serling first, right. In terms of output, I will always put Beaumont and Matheson as like second and third. And like they're, they're, Matheson was always more of like going for like the sci-fi and like, um, like he'd always try to think things through Beaumont's like, yeah, but what if we just got weird? And I think those were also parts of Serling's like creative process. And he, he liked both of those sides, you know, that's the kind of way I'd view that. And, and, it, and it works out well for the twilight zone. Mm-hmm. Like you needed a little bit of a, a difference between episodes week to week. You wanted to throw people on their heads to give them something completely different, like the number 12 looks just like you. I mean, that's a, a very strange and very memorable episode for the Twilight Zone. Yeah, and and so I also think that um, Serling came to the science fiction horror writing portion of the, like his, what he wanted to do is because he got frustrated with like censors telling him that he couldn't like make his messages the way he wanted. So he's like, yeah, but what if I just twist it a little bit? And he got like through with his messages that he wanted. Um, and I think he saw similar veins with both these guys, but they're, they're an interesting, um, they're an interesting, like, you know, triad of, of the series. And I think that they each made each other stronger in a lot of good ways. It just breaks my heart that, that, um, Beaumont was basically, um, like he couldn't do anything at this point. Like I, I'll, I'll burn the statement here. Uh, since Jerry soul, this was his third, like unofficial credited script. He, um, soul was the one that kind of came up with the idea and talked on the phone with Beaumont for like a half hour and they just kind of sussed it out. And the Beaumont's like, yeah, go with it. So like he couldn't really contribute, but he was kind of a sounding board. Soul put it together and then submitted it, you know, but that's where we're at with Beaumont at this point. I do want to mention though, um, I started, I started the book, uh, as I knew him 
That is uh, Carol Serling. Is it Carol Serling? It's his daughter. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Cause Anne's his wife. Cause he had two, he had two kids. I started, I started this book and a couple, couple hours in um, Serling. I wanted to mention the story because it's important about Beaumont. Um, Serling had written a script for one of the, the playhouse showcases, not playhouse 90, but it was about, um, it was a character piece that was said like world war two. Robert Redford was one of the leads in it where he played like a German soldier, that felt remorse for what he was doing. And there was a, a, a priest, a Jewish priest, the Jewish, I think it was Jewish priest, which is not, they're not priests, but a rabbi or something to that effect. I don't, I don't remember the religious context of who it was, but they were definitely not, you know, German and not Nazi that um, offered sympathy and forgiveness because of Robert Redford's character. And like, he felt regret. Um, this caused a lot of backlash when this this um, this teleplate aired because people were like, you're making um, the Germans sympathetic. And they kind of went this whole thing and, and Serling was like, I wrote for characters. This is the piece that was never trying to like, you know, uphold and make something look bigger than what it was. Beaumont came to his defense like before, this is before the Twilight Zone. And one of the people that was attacking this teleplay and this, this epi- like when it actually aired, they, they said to CBS or whoever it was, you should burn the negative. And then Beaumont came out swinging. He was like, Hey, you know, what you're saying is horrific about like, you know, sympathizing with Nazis. Your result is very similar to their actions of something they wouldn't agree with. Like Beaumont just came out in defense of Serling and you could tell like they had a kindred spirit. And that was, that was a great story that I just like just found out today actually. And I wanted to mention that like Beaumont was always ready ready to tell weird stuff and Ray stick up for his friend Rod and ready to dust it up. And I'm sorry that he's infirmed at this point, but this would be the last quote unquote Beaumont that we deal with in the series. It's a, it's a real drag because, you know, obviously the guy was such a talented individual yeah. and you know, you don't want to see your heroes fall that way. And, you know, it's, it's, it's exciting that he had, the exposure that he had, especially when it comes to the Twilight Zone, yeah, um, like he's going to be known as one of the more prolific uh, writers of great storylines as far as far as like television and that. So, I mean, yeah. at least uh, like this is something where he had some kind of connection with it, and yeah. I'll, I'll appreciate that. So, I'll say Serling, uh, Beaumont, Matheson, then uh, George Clayton Johnson; those were like the 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 people that contributed the most to the Twilight Zone. And again, I know Beaumont's name on this; his name's on this, but. You know, go back and look at some of his other stuff that he was in more control of. Um, like this, like this is a good episode to talk about. But if you want actual Beaumont, go back to the first three seasons and yeah. find. His and stuff. and, and yeah. if you're listening to this, then you know what we're talking about, and yeah, you know what the Twilight Zone kind of like the like the, the staples are, and you know, go yeah. back revisit them again because they they're everlasting. They're great stories. Yeah, um, but yeah. So uh, moving on into our cast here, um, we have uh, Anne Blythe. Uh, she plays Pamela Morris slash Constant Taylor. Spoiler. I'm just kidding. Uh, it's just yeah. whatever, yeah. Um, so I don't, I'm not very familiar with her, uh, but uh, one of her biggest credits uh, is uh, Mildred uh, Pierce. Um, she was nominated for an Oscar as Best Supporting Actress for that. She did not win, but she she was nominated for that. And then uh, she was a double threat back in her day. Uh, she was able to sing, uh, so she did some musicals and that, and, you know, uh, you know, along with acting. So uh, she's still with us, by the way. Yep. Um, 
And then when, when you mentioned Mildred Pierce, um, she was cast against type as the scheming, ungrateful daughter of Joan Crawford, which you had mentioned the movie. Um, she got nominated for uh, Best Supporting Actress, didn't win, but then Joan Crawford won <laughs> for like Best Actress. Like, okay. Not, not that I'm saying Joan Crawford didn't deserve it, but it's like, you know, like, hey, one of us got it. Um, and then she was like, her big screen time, like in the films, was like the 40s or 50s. Did a lot of TV in the 60s through the 80s. Um, she also became the spokesperson for Hostess Cupcakes. Oh, well, sweet. Literally, um, yes, I like it, yes. She, she struck me as a um, kind of like Elizabeth Taylor, yes. um, like a uh, knockoff. Um, and de- you can definitely see that in this episode. Um, she invokes the She's the cast for a reason, look. yeah. And like, I mean, just she is just very attractive, very, very like distinct looking, like just... It's the eyes. Oh my goodness! Yeah, she's gorgeous, right? Like and you can see, you can see why she was put in the, the role that she was in for this episode. And matter of fact, actually, wasn't Elizabeth Taylor uh, Elizabeth Taylor uh, Cleopatra? Yes. In, yeah, she was one of her most memorable roles. And that's so. what. And so, going through my notes when I watched the second time, I was like, hey, I'm getting a Cleopatra vibe. I'm like, well, no shit. Anyway. But, you know, <laughs> like, <laughs> Yeah, no, like I just, I wish I knew more about Anne Blythe, but like she is, she is good in this episode, like and just you know very striking, right? And she carries herself well. Yeah, definitely. And then uh, next we have here is uh, Lee Phillips. Uh, he plays Jordan uh, Herrick. Uh, he was in one other episode of the Twilight Zone, and that was Passage on the Lady Anne. Yeah, where he was the asshole husband that we're supposed to be sympathetic for. <laughs> if, you, if you remember, he was kind of a jerk to his wife the entire time until he wasn't. Yeah, he was a he was a an asshole. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. Um. Uh. But yeah, lots of TV work for this gentleman. Uh. Did some Playhouse ninety and also directed a ton. Uh. Ex- yes. Including uh sixty episodes of the Andy Griffith Show. There you go. But, um, he yeah, really got into the he really got into the mindset of Barney Fife is what we find out. Yeah. yeah. Um, so next here we have um, Celia uh, Lovsky. Uh, she plays uh, Viola uh, Draper. She did some uh, Alfred Hitchcock Presents and mm-hmm. Alfred Hitchcock Hour. Uh, four four episodes of uh, Playhouse ninety, and then she was also in Soylent Green. Yeah. So two other things I want to mention here is that. Uh, she was the original Tapa and Star Trek, the original series, which if you um, go back and watch Star Trek Enterprise with Scott Bakula, one of the most attractive men alive, just brief aside. Um, I love Quantum Leap, so I like I always forgive Enterprise because it's like it's more Scott Bakula. I'm okay with that. I, though one of my friends made a joke of like, wouldn't it have been great at the very last episode of Enterprise? You'd see him leap out. That would have been amazing. Um, but there's a character named Tapa there that's in that series that's based upon the same character that um, Celia Lovsky played and the, the original series, which is takes place after enterprise. So that's kind of cool. Um, also uh, she, they, it says here, she made a name for herself playing slightly exotic roles, such as the deaf mute mother of Lon Chaney and the man of a thousand faces in 57. You know, and funny enough, you know, I, I thought she was the, um, the, the gypsy lady that told Lon Chaney jr. About the curse in the Wolfman sounded just like her. I thought it was her. I was she looked very familiar and I couldn't place her. And I was, I, I, yeah. I could not cause I was not from, I had not seen anything else that she was in. Yeah. Her voice just, I was like that, that's gotta be the chick from, uh, the Wolfman, but it wasn't, but 
It sounded just like her, but yeah, I don't know. Whatever. Right. But she worked um, with, with with the father, right? So there you go. Yeah. So uh, next here we have uh, uh, Frank Ferguson. Uh, he plays Kruger. Uh, this dude had a prolific career. Uh, Three hundred and twenty-one credits to his uh, to his name. He was in Alvin and Costello meet uh, Frankenstein, The Beast from Twenty Thousand Fathoms, and of course, one episode of Hawaiian Eye. There we go. I also want to mention because we just talked about Mildred Pierce with Joan Crawford. He was in a film in '48 called Johnny Guitar. That is a western that Joan Crawford's lead in. Uh, it's it's a cool western. You got a really young Ernest Borgnine, so I think he's like Ernest like Borg Seven at that time or something. I don't know, but um, like she has this showdown because she owns like this casino, like it's it's a bar, like it's every western bar where it's like a two story place. But she owns um, this bit of land. She owns it outright that the railroad wants to buy, so they're trying to like squeeze her out, uh, and so they keep like antagonizing her. There's a bit at the end when they show up to her her bar, and she's just playing this piano against like this like the bright red background and she just stands up in like this gorgeous dress and she's basically like you know come at me and it's it's like this power move that is amazing um and Johnny Guitar is a pretty cool little film but yeah there you go that was my but I'm glad that you pulled Hawaiian Eye because I wrote that all in caps in my notes as well <laughs> yeah it's been a minute yeah. so yeah we had it show up and then so my last credit here and this is kind of surprising that as our last credit and I'll have to get back to that later but uh Ruth Phillips uh, she plays Charlotte, which uh, she was the maid in this mm-hmm. episode. They didn't really describe who she was. Uh, only nine credits to her um, to her filmography. I, I didn't really recognize anything that I I knew. Uh, I've never. I'm. I don't really know who Ruth Phillips is, but you know, she played such a bit role in this, anyways. Yeah, good that you noted that because I actually wrote my notes here and I forgot to look her up. So that just tells you I feel so bad about that. Uh, and I put uh, James Tyler as Mr. Jackson. And then like, I looked, I was like, absolutely nothing. So I feel bad. But uh, Oh, oh you so, you, all right, so you gave up the information I was confused about because IMDb does not have Mr. Jackson no. and, <laughs> credited. Yeah, I was I'm like, st- wait. I'm sorry, Ooh. Mr. Jackson. We are for real. I'm sorry about that. Um, <laughs> anyway, nice. yeah. So that's what we got there. Um, and then all, a, a number of different uh, Egyptian statues and things going on here that I'm sure. I feel like I feel like it should have all been taken from uh, the set of miniature because that was not the, the you know the museum. But there was a note somewhere in one of the books I read that all of the Egyptian props were like lent like for a cost for like the for the set right, but because of a bookkeeping like note, it's not known if the production company actually ever paid for the rental of these props. Oh, <laughs> so is that, if that's how you welcome an Egyptian mummy curse on you, I don't know what else would do that. But anyway, yeah. And, and, and Pete best played the beetle on this too. I just want to tell you that. Oh, I thought it was Robin McCord. Yeah, yeah, um, Robert McCord as a scarab. You know, like it's, <laughs> I wanted, I wanted Pete Best. I wanted the fifth Beatle to play the scarab in this, but yeah. All right, so yeah, that's it. That's our cast and crew. Let's just uh, let Sterling take it away. Jordan Herrick, syndicated columnist whose work appears in more than a hundred newspapers. By nature, a cynic, a disbeliever, caught for the moment by a lovely vision. He knows the vision he's seen is no dream. She is Pamela Morris, renowned movie star whose name is a household word and whose face is known to millions. What Mr. Herrick does not know is that he has also just looked into the face of the Twilight Zone. So 
this is one of those episodes that I think it's it's a lot of good character moments in terms of the interactions. The plot's kind of thin. You know, I mean, I understand it's a 25-minute episode, so I don't know how far you want to get into it. It's not it's not a pull the ripcord type, like a, like it's not a hold the ripcord in your teeth and then scream to your death as you fall and hit the ground type of episode. But there, it's just a lot of, like, dialogue and positioning. Well, with all that said, then, um, why don't you take it away and see where you, you fall on this? Because <laughs> I, I might, I might, no, no, no pun intended, uh, where I might fall uh, in a different spot. And, and some, some town in Michigan. That's what's going to yeah. happen. Um, I wanted to ask you at the start, though, what's weirder, the Egyptian statues, like on like the, the, the grounds that he's driving by or the steering wheel whenever like Jordan stops the car? Did you notice the steering wheel slid? To one side before he got out. It was weird. No, I didn't notice that. It was weird. Yeah. But also, all the statues, every time you see all the Egyptian statues and the symbols, there's a certain type of music and like, um, like symbols or chimes that play those, all those statues are loud. Every one of them is just really loud. That has to be annoying. Yeah, I, I don't know why they ended up choosing that kind of <laughs> music cue either. But uh, I like that he noticed the, the like whatever it was outside, and then he walks into the, the the compound, and he keeps seeing like these tiny sphinxes, and he's like, "Oh, that's weird. I don't know what's going on. Oh, that's weird too, you know." Um, so that that was kind of fun. But then he finds that portrait of Pamela that's like like that's signed in 1940, and he's like, "Oh, you know, you know, where like great." Um, so you get a clue, right? And then, um, and then she, Pamela gets called in to talk to him, but she's in the pool. Uh, Tara, I'm just going to mention here this, um, that pool we're going to see in the very last episode of the twilight zone. That's the bewitching pool. Oh, okay. So enjoy it now because Hamner's coming. That's what I got to say about that. Oh, stop it. (laughs) Stop. (sighs) Yeah. But yeah, she comes in, she's very striking her bathing suit and talking to him. And then, um, uh, we, we it's when we first see the older woman that tries to stand in the way of Pamela approaching Jordan. Um, and that's where we get like, um, that's where we get the Sterling intro, right? Because so we get Jordan, he's there to do a piece about Pamela, right? He's, yeah. we get the idea that he's been sent there to talk to her about like her career or something. Like it's not quite clear what he's there for, but you get the idea for her that this isn't the first time that an inquisitive man showed up in her house asking questions. See, I already know it's a Twilight Zone because you hear that big splash, and then she's swimming around in a pool, and her hair is completely dry. There you go. That's so a I, twist. I didn't <laughs> even consider that. You're right. Dun, 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 dun. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, so like he's asking questions. Like He's there to interview her. She's there to like you know entertain, but then that's when we get Serling showing up, which uh, can, please tell me that you enjoyed him standing beside the statue as he gave his intro. I thought that was a lot of fun. I, I like this like weird scrim that's behind him too. Like it's completely stationary. There's no movement. You can tell it's a painting behind him too. Mm-hmm. I just the, the statue is holding up like the slab. I was just hoping that he'd snub his cigarette on it. Just be like, I'm done, and just like just, just be, <laughs> take this Anubis. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, because he actually was the pitch man for Oasis cigarettes for a bit, and be like Oasis, you know, just whatever. Anyway. It so. <laughs> just walks up some black laugh. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I like his sport coat, which seems all like I for a second there because the, the pattern of his coat and the, the, the pattern that Jordan's wearing, which thank goodness this is in black and white because I do not want to know what the colors are that they're wearing for this episode. Um, I almost thought they were wearing the same coat, which would have been amazing to me. But 
Uh, but Jordan, like, you know, he's, he's ready to start asking some questions. Right. So then, uh, after we get Sterling's intro, that's, uh, you know, was it, um, he asks, he just straight up asks like Pamela is like, how old are you? And like, she kind of like, you know, she does like the, like the embarrassed thing, credit, credit to her and, um, and Blythe, how she's able to kind of like, um, act like she's answering the question, but immediately pivot. Right. Yeah. Like, oh, how old do you think I am? And of course, like he doesn't want to say it because, you know, that's rude in itself too. But I just, I don't, I don't know. Like, is that an acceptable thing to say to a celebrity you've just met? <laughs> um, hey, hey, Nick Cage, how old are you? Just you know, like, you know, just, uh, Nick Cage, come on. How, how old are you? How old is your hair? We need to know these answers. Please let us know. Because um, she's a she's a big time movie star at this yes. point, from at least everything that we're led to believe, and the fact that she has no handler there and everything, you you have a lot of confidence uh, in this conversation with her, and all of a sudden you're just going to be as straight up rude to her. Like, I I don't know, maybe maybe that's not the best approach, but whatever, you know, it moves the story along. But, well, I mean, there's also that notion too that like there's that stigmatism, and she even talks about a little bit, kind of about like everybody's like in your business all the time, and there's a certain amount of like once you pass a certain age, you're not of worth anymore to like the public in terms of being an entertainer. Um, I'll, I'll refer you back to one of the very first episodes of season one, the 16 millimeter shrine. Where great you episode. Had, yeah, you had the aging uh, actress like stuck like watching her old films. And how like like they offered her the role of a mother, and she flipped out. Like so, you get this notion, right? That, that there's a youth movement that's always there. So for him to ask her this, and then he also is like, "But this this painting over here says 1940," and she's like, "Oh, I was just a kid then." It's like, "But you look exactly the same," you know. Anyway, um, but she does a good job of like downplaying everything, and then eventually she she tells him, you know, she's 38. But also, like when the mother comes into, we forgot. Like so there's like um, there's a coffee and tea time, right? And the and the, oh, the older I, lady, yeah. Please say. Please don't skip the line here too, because I love this line. And so uh, Pamela offers uh, some coffee to Jordan, and she's like, she asks him like, if you want a little bit of like cognac in it, and and he's like, no, I'll take it straight. And she's like, oh really? I thought all you reporters are boozers, you know? <laughs> like <that's>, yeah. <laughs> Like, dude, way to call him out too. I'm like, I'm glad she did that because the whole like questioning her age, like she needed to come back at him with something. That's funny. I didn't consider it that way. I, I, I on the second watch through of this, I considered it more of her priming the pump of like, you know, would you like something added to your coffee, like, like type of thing. But I, like, I like the idea that if it was like kind of like this toss off of like, oh, you asked me how old I am. I'm going to ask you why the hell you're wearing that sport jacket. Are you drunk right now? Like, <laughs> <laughs> good call. Good call. I like it. Yeah. Yeah. They're like, like we're, the clearance rack over at, uh, you know, Burlington. <laughs> yeah, Burlington. <laughs> yeah. It's like, like I bought part of the jacket and I had to go find the matching sleeve later in the store. You know, um, <laughs> I will always argue that Burlington Co factory is like, a, it's, it's like if someone, if you had to tell somebody a dream about going to a place where, it's a store that's like partially closed that sells you uh, like coats and also like strollers and odds and ends. They'd be like that's a weird dream. I'm like, come to Burlington Co Factory. That it always feels like a weird dream every time you go to that place. 
But, yep, that's pretty much what it is. So if, you, if, you, if, if, if you don't have a Burlington in your area, folks, uh, that's pretty much what it is. It's like the goodwill of stores that actually sell new belongings. It's like I went to the one and it was like I had an escalator going up to the second floor, but it was like plywood off. I'm like, well, that's weird. Like, it's huh. like, like I, I know there's nothing upstairs other than mannequins that, you know, are going to like chase me or whatever, you know. But anyway. Uh, so, so yeah, like, so they're talking more and he ends up like trying to ask her specific questions about, uh, like I put my notes here. He brought the receipts about her movie career. Like he's, he's very adamant about like, oh, well that painting was 1940, but your first film was 1930. And you know, we're in this time now, this is what 65, where there's still a lot of like, people can just kind of state like, well, that's that, this is what happened. And you can't fact check a lot. We found out this guy actually did his research and kind of has uh, old man Google in his back pocket. You know, we'll talk about old man Google in a little bit. But I, mean, I yeah, I, I love I love how Viola is just being a creep in all these different scenes. Oh yes, too. yes, like, yes. That's that's the older woman, and like how I like how Pam was like, oh, that's my mother. She needs her tea at a specific time. And then there's a point where it was that they said, um, uh, she's implied that her like that Pamela has always been this beautiful. <laughs> Like, okay. But yeah, Viola, there's a bit later when they go out to the landing, like outside, just her creeping in the background is amazing. I love it. Dude, I just wish that there was like a potted plant that every time she was like, like sifting through to try to get the best view. Like it just felt <laughs> just like kind of moving through the pla- the leaves of the plant. <laughs> right. Like I just, I, it felt like it needed to be that way. I, every single time, like where's the binoculars, all, all the tropes of like spy films. I, I wanted to see Viola do all of that stuff. And then she brings up like the hearing horn, like, you know, like the old people would have where it's the big horn that you put up to the ear to listen further and just aim it at, you know, the couple, that'd be great. Um, but, but there may or may not be a screenshot of her creeping on them later that might show up on our Facebook page. Just letting you know, there's enough in this, this episode. So. <laughs> <laughs> Take your pick. Yeah. I found it. I found a pretty good one, but, but then like, uh, so as, as Jordan's calling her out about like, Hey, you were in a uh, queen of the Nile. And that, I think that's what he said. That was like in the thirties, right? Like there's, there's two, there, the dates get a little, a little fuzzy later, but on purpose. Right. So, uh, she mentions like this big, she goes into this like monologue about growing up in the Midwest and like her father falling on hard times and like whatever. And then she comes out here and it's like, it's almost like it's a screen test and it's like a dialogue that she has memorized that she tells everybody that probably has questions about her movie career because she's also like, that couldn't have been me. I was this age. And whenever I was this age, I was in the Midwest, like very effective. Yeah. And, and definitely uh, a ploy to distract Jordan and possibly anybody else who has asked these questions before, you know, bat the lashes and use her charm too, because she's definitely doing that at the same point. She, yeah, she's exuding the sexiness. Let's I mean, maybe I'm under her spell. I don't know, but it's just, yeah, like she, she's, uh, she's selling all of it. Right. And then eventually she puts the charms on even further as, you know, as Viola is watching from the plants in the back, um, this is when they go outside to, to get a breeze or whatever. And, and you had told me we start, start recording, um, the, the furniture outside. I didn't notice this, but I, but you told me it was really funny about the oh, furniture. Yeah. So like the yeah. furniture that, that like, cause they go out to, to, to catch a breeze, whatever, uh, to enjoy the view. Again, another ploy to just distract Jordan. And 
I'm glad that this isn't black and white because you could definitely see that this is old crusty furniture that's sitting out on that lanai or whatever. Like <laughs> it's like she she made the the purchase of Value City furniture and then regretted it immediately after. You know, it's like this will hold up. It didn't hold up. Yeah, it looked like it needed a sandblast and like a new coat of paint because it looked it looked janky, dude. <laughs> and it I, I don't know. Again, good thing it's in uh, black and white because I think that that uh, cushion would look pretty rough too <laughs> against the sport coat that have been terrible but uh so so and, and then he even mentions like the the queen of the nile film and then he mentions like the different like egyptian pieces and she's like oh you know i guess she's like i think she calls it i figure what she calls the actual aesthetic but she acknowledges there's a bunch of this egyptian artwork and statuary around uh because that was the film that made her famous you know like and again i could i could see that like if if if, if someone comes to your state they're going to expect to see the thing that you're known for that's fine uh skywalker ranch is called skywalker ranch because you know reasons but um so the, then uh, like they have this this conversation about how she's like i feel as young as i did in that that painting and and blah 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 blah, blah. and then like they kiss i i do like that after it happened she's like i should have done that he's like no I want it to happen too. And I'm like, way to go. 1965 mentioning it's consensual. Like that's not always a thing that happens in these shows. Yeah. And, and I, I don't know. Like, it seems like he was pretty infatuated, infatuated with a starlet too. So I, you know, why wouldn't you have at least something to talk to um, the other reporters about <laughs> yeah. at work too? Like, I, <laughs> it, it just works to his advantage the entire time. Even if he wasn't feeling it, it's like, he can go back to his buddies and be like, hey, guess what happened? It's like the same thing with Burgess Meredith. It's like, you know it. You know, anyway, so. Um, <laughs> or, or Don Rickles, like, great kisser. Like, weird interview, great kisser. So um, that, that's implying. I, I was entertained by that. Anyway. <laughs> 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 and it was consensual, Don Rickles and Burgess Meredith. Uh, so they, they talked to me for dinner. It's like, yeah, we're going to do that. And then as he's, like, leaving... That's when he comes across uh, Viola and like the garden area. And then she's like, you need to go. And he's like, but why? And then that's when we spill the beans of like, she's like, I don't know how old she is. And she's like, but you're her mother. She's like, no, I'm not. I'm her daughter. And it's like, bum, bum, bum. So we find out that, uh, you know, Viola is much older than, than she's older looking than Pamela and things aren't adding up now. And that, that's our, that's our uh, commercial break. It's it's a pretty good hook, right? You get into that, you're like, oh no, things are adding up, uh, and Jordan is uh, being. By the way, I just want to point out the name Jordan. That also feels very kind of um, tied into all this as well. Like ah. the, the River Jordan, like it feels very yeah. Middle Eastern. The, the, yeah, it all feels like there's a reason for this. I didn't catch that until you just said that, but that, yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. Um, yeah, so like that's our kind of our mid part here, like our mid scene. Because um, we get back to Jordan and Pamela. They're in his car. He's dropping off, dropping Pamela off back at her place after whatever night, dinner, whatever they had going on. And there's a little bit of a dialogue between the two of them. Nothing really that's like all that important. Um, well, she asked, he, she asked where he's from. He said Chicago. And then she mentioned the theater that she played at. Right. Well, yeah, yeah I guess that's important. Yeah. But then she also says he does say to her um, that what the mother said, what Viola said about like how that she's actually the daughter and she writes it off. They're like, Oh, you know, my, my mom's a little kooky. You know, she's disturbed. Uh, she says, and um, you know, that's when you hear that little uh, 
bit of dialogue between them about Chicago and the theater, mm-hmm. which will come back later. So I, I guess that kind of is important. Um, but after Pamela leaves, um, we get Jordan calling Kruger, um, who just seems to be IMDB. For, <laughs> he's, for old man, he's old man Google. That's why I was like, that's why I wanted to mention that. Cause he's like, he's like at the ready. And then Jordan's like, research this. He's like checking, checking, checking. Would you like to buy some penis pills? Like Jordan's like, no, not right now. It's fine. Can you tell me the results? You know. I, I love his file cabinet setup because he has like three file cabinets and it just happens to have all the information right. for all the actors and actresses. Um, he finds it pretty quickly too. So, I mean, his I bandwidth mean, is how, great. How many, how many actors and actresses did exist at that time? I'm, I'm kidding. <laughs> Seven, but yeah, he yeah. finds it. He finds it all pretty fast. Yeah. So and he talks about how, um, you know, uh, Pamela had done uh, a few movies and then they coincided with different times. And then this Constance Taylor, um, who looks very similar, died or went missing rather in a silent version of the Queen uh, of the Nile. Yeah. Queen of the Nile. So there was two versions of Queen of the Nile. And so Pamela played in one version of Queen of the Nile, but Constance Taylor, who looks very similar played in the original silent film, but she went missing in Egypt. So that was like the real interesting tie in. But like, he also tells uh, Kruger to bring out pictures and compare them again, going off of (laughs) going off of what he's telling him. Kruger is like the man. He has all the knowledge. Kruger would be like, well, they don't look anything alike. And how could Jordan feel any way different? (laughs) Cause he's the man on the other side of the phone, whatever. Um, but yeah, they look very similar because you know it's the exact same person. <laughs> yeah, they, it's just, and like he's like, well, you know, they have different outfits and the things. Like, yeah, they look the same, right? But yeah. he also mentions that theater though, like burned down like the twenties, the one that she mentioned playing, right? So he was pretty good. He also even mentioned me, meeting um, meeting her right before the the sound, like before the silent film happened. He was like, so he even like it was this weird like confirmation of like, yeah, they look alike because I met her. And he's like, and then, and then the Kruger's also like, well, like once you get done, like flitting about out there, you should come back. Like credit to Jordan as much as he's infatuated with her. You you also wonder if like, he's also leading into it to get the answers that he wants, but there is a hypnotism there. He is, he is interested in her, but he also has that itch of like, I need to know what's going on and he's figuring it out. Yeah. And I mean, so he's, he's kind of battling against himself here, but. So the next day, Jordan comes back to Pamela's place and to confront her with information. And, and it's kind of a, a similar scene in the fact that he's he's looking out at the pool, at Pamela in the pool. But now he's got this stink eye going on. <laughs> Did you do, I love that. Like, he's, he looks pissed. Uh, I don't know how you could be pissed looking at her swimming around in that water. I've just said. Um, he knows Hammer's coming eventually to ruin that. Oh. that <laughs> But uh, so he had brought a bunch of uh, evidence to show Viola. And of course, she confirms everything. It's a bunch of newspaper clippings, old photos of her, um, Constance Taylor, that is. Um, and Viola confirms everything. Like, you're right. This, but she's older than you think she is still. Like, even as old as you think she is, she's got to be older than that. Because here I am. I can only validate that she's 70 plus years old, you know, cause she's my mother. 
And so, you know, okay, of course, Jordan's still trying to wrap all this stuff up in his head and come at it from the best angle to approach uh, Pamela with this information. But I don't think he has all of his ducks in a row yet. Like, I don't think he knows no. what to say to her. Yeah, well, because then even he's approaching because, like, you know, Viola's like, nope, don't don't show uh, the clippings, right? Like, don't do that. And he's like, well, you know, I'm going I'm to confront her. And then at that point, uh, she brings out the coffee tray again. Uh, and you know, we we see very succinctly that she drops something in his drink. Um, and so we know we know she's up to no good. Yeah. And so um, he says to her, like, hey, I just want I just want the truth. And that's when he takes a sip of his coffee. And it's at that point that Pamela says to him, you're going to get the truth. And then she turns around and she goes back by this another uh, Egyptian statue in her room. And there's a little bit of plantry or behind it or whatever. And she reaches behind it and grabs a small, maybe a hand-sized box uh, that's clear. And we don't see the contents of this clear box yet. And when we see Jordan's face back in the camera, um, he's sweating profusely. He looks, he, he doesn't look well at all. No, <laughs> no, things, things are turning very bad for him very quickly. Yes. So, um, and she brings over the box to show Jordan the contents. Uh, and, you know, of course he's not really too sure what it is, but we find out it's a scarab. It's a, a an Egyptian beetle. And there's a lot of meaning behind the scarab. And, um, yeah, so he, and that's when Jordan faints, falls to the floor. And Pamela uh, unbuttons his shirt and takes the beetle out of the, the, the box and puts it onto his bare chest. And that's when we get one of these cool sequences that is um, very reminiscent of the, what was the episode that you were talking about? Um, Long live Walter Jameson. Very similar. Um, we ha- see this aging of Jordan um, progressing past, uh, you know, like the, his 40s into his possible 60s, 70s, and then all of a sudden a skeleton and the skull. <laughs> the skull. The skull's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. pretty, it's pretty kick ass. So I will mention, so people want to go back and, and, and watch Long Live Walter Jameson, which is written by Charles Beaumont. Uh, the the super aging effect that happens to I forget the name of the actor but he was in the original Body Snatchers he was the the asshole uh, TV uh, owner guy in UHF um, they did he was a, in the Twilight Zone movie yes he was he was the father in the nice uh, was it um it's a good life he was the fa- the abducted father in that section we'll talk about that when we get there Ugh, that section scares me um, it's sorry it bothers me uh, from the film um, but. In that original episode, what they did from a black and white perspective, they did an old camera trick, which I think they utilized here for like a second called a red green shift where they do the makeup um, in one way and use lighting on the set where they would go from a red light that anything that was red would not show up on camera because it was being bathed in red light. And then they'd shift to a green. So anything that was green would not show up, but you could do like, you know, uh, age lines. Cause you could shift it back like you, because the way that they would flood the, the image and you should go back and watch the, that sequence there because it looks like he's actively aging on screen. I think they did that for a second here too, because there's a bit whenever he's a little older where he, it gets, it gets like decrepit in a hurry 
And that's that's an old black and white trick that we don't see anymore. That's a lot of fun. His turning into a skull that falls apart and dust is a lot of fun here. And the actor that we're uh, talking about is Kevin McCarthy. That's right. Yes. Yeah. So, but yeah, like I love this scene. I think it's just like the camera tricks that we're seeing here are just, it's super fun. I, I think it worked really well for this story. Uh, and, you know, so she grabs the beetle off of, uh, off of the dead body at this point and then holds it both hands against her, her, her bosom. And I think it's implied that she's kind of taking on the, the, the life, life essence or yeah. what yeah. It, it, there's not much as far as like how it's implied, but you know, she, I don't know. There's just a, a, like an emotion she's feeling, whatever. Um, there's like her, her, her image doesn't change whatsoever. I wish they would have done something like that. Maybe like taken away a few wrinkles or whatever. Like but, kind of show that she's resetting to whatever it is right. that she's at. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, considering like, uh, how fast the next guy's in the door, like, <laughs> we don't know what's like, we don't know her process, but yeah, like she's taking his life. She's taking Jordan's life essence and, um, you know, it's effective. Like you get the point across. Um, I like that her daughter comes in and she's like, oh, you did this. And she's like, I told you not to be in here now. Dust bust him, please. Yeah, I know. Right. Just like clean up this mess because now, yeah, the body is complete dust all over the floor and there's, there's men's clothing just sitting there. Ugly's men, ugly men's clothing. But yeah, there it and is. She's like, listen, we can get a buyback at uh, Burlington Co. Factory if we just take this stuff there right now. Yeah, just shake it out. Just shake um, it like, it's not the <laughs> first time they've accepted uh, worn clothes covered in dust. They, uh, just let's be honest, you know. But yeah, so yeah, like you said, there's uh, the next gentleman comes in the door, and that's Mr. Jackson. Uh, uh, the, the maid rings him in, and now, now it just we get the in well the outro from rod and it just kind of rinse repeat so yeah, pamela but, won yeah and but she also said that during his, during jordan's collapse that like well like how old are you whatever and she's like well the scare was given to me by the pharaohs she's like she's like i told you i was once queen of the nile so it's implied that she literally was cleopatra like that's what you get so when we talked about her looking a lot like elizabeth taylor from cleopatra like it's so on the nose, which I mean, again, it's supposed to be right. So the second time through, I didn't, I didn't pick up on that dialogue until I heard like the, the first time through, I didn't hear I was once queen of the Nile. It's like, well, yeah, you have all this, like you went to Egyptian warehouse and bought everything. I get it. It's fine. You know, you went to world market and bought all this Egyptian shit. That's fine. But the, to, to know that she actually is a lot older than like that was implied, even that her daughter doesn't even know is kind of messed up. Um, because one, her daughter's sticking around because it's like, well, why don't you leave? She's like, well, where would I go? Like, that's fair. But this also kind of, it's like the power dynamic between Pamela and Viola implies that this isn't her first kid that she's had, right? Like we don't know what misery she has, uh, put upon how many children has she had that have inadvertently she's watched them, uh, grow older and become envious and then bitter. Like that, like, I know that's not here in the story, but that's the stuff I think about. No, and there's a lot to unpack here. Uh, I think that the character development is actually interesting in such a small, small amount of time. We find that out and we can unfold all of that and make her that much more sinister because she is a sinister character and she's out for her own. She doesn't even care about her, her own offspring. They're just, she, I mean, Viola was there just to help her with all of this. So 
how messed up is that? Well, yeah, that, that's fair. But it's like at the same time, it's like the the creeping realization that you're this is your mother that as you're a kid, you don't think of them aging, right? Because the parents are always eternal. And then it makes you wonder what happened when they were appropriate, like, like visibly the same age. Like there's a whole story here that is way darker than is actually like shown. Um, and, and, and I know that's not the point of this episode. Um, but that's the stuff that it's like, whew, there's a lot going on here. And it's also too, like how long can she run this gambit of like bringing dudes in and turning them to dust? Because as we've seen old man, Google, now we're getting um, a traceable like paper trail, right? That she never had to deal with. Like, what's going to happen in the next 20, 30 years for her? Right. Yeah. I mean, like, you wouldn't be able to have this kind of career. Yeah. You because know, people are paying attention a lot more often. You know, back in the day, it was such a, a weird consumable thing. But now people pay attention to each actor and they're like, whoa, hey, you know this actress is in this movie well i'm going to pay a lot more attention to their career and what they're doing and i'm going to start uh, buying tabloids with them in it and everything well even (laughs) even considering that this time even like the studio system was evolving but um this was like the first time in like modern history where someone could just be famous for being famous right and so this is like you know she's being worshipped as a god in a lot of ways but there's going to be prices to be paid for this. And I, you know, it would almost be great to see an update of this now, especially with the advent of social media and also like, you know, trackable history. Like, I mean, we, there's, there's plenty of stories that we see of like, Oh, this person did this. And then they like, they died suddenly. And then you find out that they fake their death and it becomes like this tangled mystery of like, what's really going on here. Like that'd be a lot of fun. But I think something like this where you got like that old Hollywood a little bit involved. Actually, that takes me back. There's a Clive Barker book, and I think I've talked to you about this before, Terry. Um, I know you like Clive Barker. And in fact, to my right is a signed picture of Clive Barker that you got for me. So he's staring at me right now. Sup, Clive? Um, there's a book he wrote called Cold Heart Canyon that kind of deals with similar ideas of the golden age of Hollywood and um, aging and what it means to be removed from that spotlight and the costs that you're willing to pay to stay in it. And this episode doesn't have that, but it has a lot of weird creeping roots for me when I think about it. Yeah. And I, I, I still have to get to that one. I love Clyde Barker. Um, there is another great, um, uh, movie that kind of explores an option like this too, called death becomes her. Yes. With Bruce Willis. Um, the, the advent of being able to, uh, have like a, a serum to live forever and make better choices and reinvent yourself. And that's kind of what they explore in that movie a little bit. Um, it's, it, it's a fascinating uh, thing to dive into. And I, I, I agree with you. Like this could be a really interesting, um, you know, stepping stone into something that maybe could go into those different realms of like killing yourself off, becoming a new person, still always trying to stay relevant. And Seeking I, I the spotlight because you want to be adored and worshipped, right? But you understand yeah. that you have to, you have to make yourself your own ancestor. <laughs> like how right. do you, how do you do that? You know, right? And I I think that could be that could be awesome. If they we have some writers out there. I know Richard, you're listening. Uh, hey, you want to rewrite this? You want to put a put a little uh, spin on it? Uh, do exactly what we're saying. <laughs> yeah this this is a much more important question 
than with um, the Long Morrow where we asked where the poop room was on the spaceship. This is <laughs> this is a much bigger pressing need than where the poop room is. So if you can get well, on that, the, pr- the poop room is always important, though. Like, <laughs> <laughs> trust me. Fair enough. Yeah. <laughs> but no, yeah, like I, I agree wholeheartedly with you that this is this is a very fascinating story, and I think it could be reinvented and it could be relevant still. And I mean, it's sad that, um, Jordan Peele's production of the twilight zone doesn't exist anymore after, you know, this last season, uh, which, uh, by the way, people should check that out. If you have not checked it out, um, those two seasons are a lot of fun. Um, it's sad that it's not going to exist anymore, but hopefully somebody will come along and, you know, bring back some of these kind of like storylines that I think would be so cool. Like to, I mean, this Why is, not? This is worthy of another pa- like another pass through. Like I think yeah. there's some interesting things here. Um, I would say if you want to explore the ramifications of having uh, a living a long life, and I, I like I would go back to Charles Beaumont's uh, "Long Live Walter Jameson," which is actually it's a it's a different take on this, but it. I think it's a more satisfying story beginning to end than this, but I think this asks bigger questions, which I, I do appreciate. Mm-hmm. Um, so, like, you know, again, it, like I always feel like the Twilight Zone is like sometimes you get into this thing where it's like I've seen this, but they'll throw it against the wall or come up with like five different angles on it, and that's okay. That's perfectly okay because then it also opens up to the conversation to say that we're in what hundred plus episodes into the series and rounding out the last like fourteen to be like, well, I've seen this before and it's a shade of this. That I mean, that's a valid statement. That doesn't mean that you shouldn't take the time to consider that where this portion's going versus the main conceit, you know, like, like this, this isn't, this isn't like a great episode, meaning as in like the highs of highs, it's a great middle episode that I think asks a lot more than what's shown here. And that's the fun part of this discussion. Yeah, I, th- I think those are all fair statements. Uh, I think this is a, a good episode. I enjoyed it, but uh, it's not in that pantheon of like um, like most memorable from the Twilight Zone. Not at all. So if you want somebody turning the dust, go back to Kevin McCarthy and along with Walter Jameson. Uh, he didn't live that long in that episode. Anyway, just throw that out there. Spoiler. Um, so yeah, that's um, that's going to do it for the episode. Like I already kind of talked about how Jerry Soul kind of like kicked around ideas with uh, Beaumont for like a half hour. Soul was given a um, scarab brooch uh, that he kind of dug. Like he had like this thing and he was like, well, this is kind of cool. Like Egyptian fertility, uh, you know, everlasting life. And he, that he had this and thought it was neat looking and pitched the idea to Beaumont and they kind of kicked, kicked it. They kicked it around for half hour. And that's where this kind of showed up. So ultimately Soul was happy with this episode, but he lost, he lost the scarab. And he's, he's sad that he lost it. So I believe that somebody picked it up and is now turning men to dust and living forever. Oh, no. They lost the scarab? I don't know what happened, but um, I blame Beatlemania at the time for that. Um, yeah. That's, uh, all right, cool. No, I, I don't know. I feel like, I feel like that wouldn't it have been great if this, like, if that, um, like, the scarab statue showed up in Friday the 13th, the series. Would that have been great? <laughs> like if that would have been one of the cursed objects in that show. Um, yeah, that would have been sweet. Uh, that, I, that's I a series a we should dig into at some point. That was a fun, weird, weird show, weird syndicated show. 
Yeah, we, I think we're going to have to. Uh, actually, I'm going to reach out now. Anybody who's listening right now and uh, Doug, Friday the 13th, the series, uh, tell us what your favorite episode is because that's something that it's kind of been a blind spot for us. Uh, and I would love to know what like the best or most memorable episode is for you guys. And we'll cover it. Yeah, that'd be fun. So, um, yeah, do you have any other notes about the episode proper before we get to the, the twist? No, let's get that twist, man. Um, that we see Egyptian things and the episode's called Queen of the Nile and that she would suck the life force out of somebody. Uh, two? I, I didn't really... None of, none of it really surprised me, but that's not a bad thing. It was an okay story. Like, okay episode, the twist rating out of five doesn't, doesn't dictate how we feel about the episode, but it didn't really surprise me. I'm going to go with two. Yeah, two seems fair because it, I didn't really get too surprised by it anyway. It's like, uh, my, my head, my skull did not bust in the half. Uh, so like I was yeah. trying to find, I was trying to find a good image of that to freeze. Like for like there, there was not capable, like, and I was being lazy and make a gif, but that skull breaking apart is pretty cool. Yeah. It's pretty badass. I mean, you yeah. know, me being a horror film freak, uh, you gotta, you gotta love, uh, when skulls are busting in half, <laughs> it's metal, <laughs> metal <laughs> AF. Every, everything needs more say. skulls, right? So with the Z. Anyway, so yeah, um, that's going to do it for uh, for us talking about Queen of the Nile. Uh, you guys can find us on, uh, on Facebook at Strange Highways. Um, I, I I will get some more images up from an occurrence at Al Creek, Al, Al Creek, Al Creek Bridge. Alf Creek? Alf Creek Bridge, where it's just him <laughs> being put on trial for eating cats. Like, that's what's going to happen. He gets free, ends up back on Melmac. Just to find out that he didn't quite leave. <laughs> Willie Tanner is the, is the 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 executioner. Anyway, just let, let, let you know. I'll get some image, images up from the episode here soon. Uh, you guys can email us directly at strangehighwayspodcast, Gmail, wherever you find your podcast, rate and review us. And Terry, what other fun ways can people interact with us? Dude, we are on Instagram. Uh, I don't think people know about that because no one's following us lately. <laughs> <laughs> they're not following us like viola where she's just watching from the distance like can you can you all follow us like that where terry and i have a conversation and i look outside my window and i just see someone behind a pot of plant looking up at us that'd be great i know that not too many people do the social media thing that much anymore um maybe you're maybe you hate facebook we are on instagram we we just post fun pictures we try to get interactive with people and that um share some fun memories throughout the twilight zone history and that it, oh. just come over there have some fun but we actually because but things kind of got weird with our schedule the last couple of weeks we actually got a really great positive review that you'd sent me um and i have it here i'll find it that you sent me a screenshot of and i was like oh validation so we did get um a great uh review it was a five-star review says, I love you guys. Listen to every episode so far and always feel happy when I see a new one come up. Just finished listening to From Agnes with Love, and I got to be honest, I kind of like listening to reviews of the bad episodes. Best because it's always funny, which is ironic given how often the bad episodes are trying so hard to be very funny and failing, especially From Agnes with Love. That's my own commentary. Anyway, it's always <laughs> great to hear from the new perspectives on the show and all the other stuff you cover. I hope you keep going way, way past season five. Well, thank you, Shelly. Uh, we're we are going to go past season five. We're just going to make up episodes. That's not true, but we're we're going to find things past season five. We appreciate the positive review, um, and we hope to do more. And I know the next episode is a comedy one. 
So, uh, yeah. So, <laughs> but well, also, either way, it's Shelly might enjoy our uh, our take on it. So that we'll could see, be fun. Right? Uh, and also, this, this so we're on Spotify as well, right? That's what the kids are doing now. Yeah, it's Spotify. We're on. Um, we're on Uber Eats. I don't know. We're, we're on everything. We're on Farmers we're, Only. I don't know. <laughs> we're yeah. at you know. Um, yeah, we're on. Uh, we're, what's the? We're on Audible. Yeah, we're, we're on, on MySpace. We're on uh, Friendster. I don't like um, <laughs> Friendster. <laughs> yeah, so, ICQ. Go, go you go to ICQ. Um, anyway, like Telnet. Look, you can find us on Telnet. I don't know where else we're. We're. You can ask Jeeves where to find us. That's what I got to say about that. If if you, if you if you stumbled upon us, if you if you found us, if you sought us out, and you're having a good time, go to wherever you can review the podcast podcasting just give us something give us some love give us some hate it doesn't matter we're looking for some kind of feedback we just want to make this better for you guys we want to make it more enjoyable um we're having fun either way but if you're not having fun then we'll try to make it better yeah. i don't know yeah the more the we'll merrier do our, so. we'll do our best yeah <laughs> So next episode is called What's in the Box, and I really, really wish this was the film seven, but it's not. So let Serling uh, talk about what's coming next. And now, Mr. Serling. Next time out, we do a little biting of the hand that feeds, and we tell you a delightful yarn that has to do with television. Not normal television, mind you, but a wacky tale about a TV set that predicts the future. It's written by Martin Goldsmith, and it stars three eminently talented people who make their first visit to the zone. Joan Blondell, William Demarest, and Sterling Holloway. On the Twilight Zone next time, what's in the box? I I don't know, man. I, I have yeah. a I have hesitation Rod, here. <laughs> Rod did not say it with the emphasis that it should have been. What's in the box? What's in the box? What's in it? You know. What's in the yeah. box. Yeah. Wouldn't it be well, great if we found out? out? Yeah. It, wouldn't it be great if we found out? It would be a uh, oh like the mother of um oh what's her name? I I'd, I just dropping uh. You know, the girl from Seven that was like, you know, went on to become famous. That dated, that married the guy from Coldplay. That is uh, Gwyneth Paltrow. That's the name. Yeah, Would it be great if we find like, out? Great like, expectations. Yeah, like uh, the mother, Iron like Man. the mother of Gwyneth Paltrow was in this an episode called "What's in the Box." Wouldn't that be amazing to find that out? Um, but I like that. Like I was like, oh, you know, that girl that wanted to do things. You know, Shakespeare and love, goop. You know that no one should do. <laughs> goop. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so what's what's in the box? What's in the box? We're gonna find out what's in the box. Uh, it's it sounds like it's comedy, so I don't know about that. But we'll, we'll get there when we get there. Anyway, I hope you guys enjoyed this conversation about Queen of the Nile. Have a good week. Have a safe week. Um, I don't know. Uh, like, it, just don't don't fall for eternal women that want you to like scarabs. I got nothing. All right, the bugs are icky. <laughs> Would you like some coffee, Mr. Herrick? Uh, yes, coffee, thank you. Would you like something in it? Cognac, whiskey? Uh, no thanks, I'll take it black. I thought newspaper people were heavy drinkers. <laughs> That's a myth. <laughs> <laughs>